I remember the rumbling. It felt like a freight train. And then I wake up feeling a swaying. A tornado tore through our small town like a giant weed whacker. The chemical reaction occurs in that solution. So while this solution is in the soil, it produces that nitrogen gas. This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. Hello and welcome to another episode of Design Safe Radio. I'm your host, Dan Zayner. And today we're talking about soil liquefaction, which is a bit of a strange phenomenon. Um, under a strong earthquake, waterlogged sediment near the ground surface lose their strength and the soil will actually liquefy and it can even flow. Our guest today, Arash Hosravifar, is an assistant professor of civil and environmental engineering at Portland State University. One of his research interests is preventing soil liquefaction. So in his recent work, Hosravi Farr led an NSF-funded study investigating a bioengineered material that can prevent soil liquefaction. And this technique is called microbially induced desaturation, or MID. By injecting a material comprised of ground-hardening bacteria, engineers seek to prevent the soil process that causes liquefaction. Pretty cool. So this research is particularly important in the Portland, Oregon region, as well as most a lot of the uh, upper section of the Pacific Northwest, uh, especially Portland, which is located along the Cascadia subduction zone. And not only is the area's silty soil prone to liquefy, but key infrastructure is at risk, including the city's critical infrastructure energy hub, which is a six-mile stretch near downtown Portland, packed with oil tanks, transmission towers, bridges, pipelines, electrical substations, and all sorts of things that you don't want to go wrong during an earthquake. The MID technique was developed at the NSF-funded Engineering Center for Biomediated and Bioinspired Geotechnics, or CBBG, at Arizona State University. So, in order to shake the ground and test the efficacy of MID, Josravi Far and his team employed the specialized mobile shaker trucks from the University of Texas at Austin, part of the NSF-funded NARI network. Important work indeed, and we are so glad to have him on the show. And after the interview, you can find out more about Professor Sorapisfar's work with MID in Portland, as well as a lot of other cool research, which is detailed in the forthcoming Nary Impact 2020 book. Professor Hosravifar's work with MID in Portland is detailed in the forthcoming Nary Impact 2020 book in an article called Collaborative Research Boosts Resilience in the Cascadia Subduction Zone. Find out more about the book and download it when it's available at designsafe-ci.com and, or .org, excuse me. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, that when it is available. So, without further ado, our interview with Arash Hosravifar. Arash, it's great to have you today. Good to see you. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. Um, for those who aren't familiar and who aren't geotechnical engineers, me being one of them, um, what is liquefaction? Um, how would you describe it? So, liquefaction <coughs> or soil liquefaction in earthquakes, it's, it's, some, it's a phenomenon that happens in earthquakes. And what, what it is, is that when, the, when you get the earthquake shaking, the uh, water pressure in saturated soil goes up because of the earthquake shaking to the point where the soil particles start to float in this mixture of soil and water um, mixture. 
Um, and basically in a matter of few seconds or several seconds from the start of the earthquake, you go from a soil that was completely competent and stiff to be able to carry the load of really heavy structures, bridges, dams, and buildings, and um, tanks, and so on, to a point where the soil momentarily loses its entire strength. Wow. And it just, the soil particles kind of like float in this mixture, um, which then if you have structures that are their foundations are founded on the soil. They, you know, the soil loses the strength, so they, you get collapse and damages to those foundations. Um, if you have underground structures, um, utilities, um, uh, tunnels, and so on, they, they may pop out of the ground. There are wow. examples of this in um, many earthquakes, including. Um, the Tohoku earthquake in Japan, where the utility um, structures basically popped out of the ground. Hmm. Um, and, and a lot of damages to bridges and um, because, because they're just kind of naturally situated on uh, close to rivers where the soils are very prone to liquefaction. Hmm. So, so how common is it? Like, are there certain types of soils or, or places that are more prone to this than others? Yeah, so um, there are basically two ingredients to liquefaction. One is the high seismic shaking. So, um, you know, wherever you have the high probability of high shaking uh, or intense shaking, you could get liquefaction in Western United States, obviously, um, but, but also Central and Eastern US too, in the New Madrid uh, seismic zone and um, South Carolina. I was talking about that with one of my colleagues here at Purdue. If like, you know, we're, you know, in the middle of 2020 and checking off items off of the apocalypse bingo sheet and like, wouldn't it just be like 2020 to have, you know, the new Madrid fault <laughs> go anytime? <laughs> that, that's exactly true. That's what um, um, I was talking to uh, uh, a reporter a couple of weeks ago from PSU Vanguard and, and the title of their the piece that they were working on was this kind of, um, you know, scenario where you have, you know, pandemic, we, we have fire going on in, in Oregon right now. Um, and then if we get on top of that, we get what we wait for. It's called the big one is what people refer to in, in the Pacific Northwest, which is a magnitude nine earthquake from Ooh. the Cascadia subduction earthquake. Um, and there's a um, the science, the latest science is that there's a possibility, 30% chance of that magnitude nine happening during 50 year um, lifespan of structures. Wow. Um, so that, that's a pretty high probability. That's pretty high. <laughs> so, you know, um, given what 2020 has brought us, I wouldn't be surprised if we get that on top. If we of get it. suddenly disconnected, I'll know why. <laughs> So, so for, for those, you know, in, not just in the Portland area, but the, you know, the Pacific Northwest, like, aside from the rest of the effects of that going on, like, how, how much liquefaction could, could happen and what, what parts of the, that region would be affected? So, you, the, the, the second ingredient to liquefaction is loose soil, and, and you get a lot of that close to rivers, uh, so for the floodplains of rivers, when you have loose granular soil, 
um, saturated. It has to be saturated, so it has to be under the water table. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, um, and, and usually the younger deposits are more susceptible to liquefaction. So wherever you have rivers, you usually have, wherever you have rivers and high seismic demands, you usually have liquefaction problems. So in the Pacific Northwest, we have, in, uh, um, we have uh, from Portland down to Salem. So it's about a hundred mile stretch where um, it's called Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's got this silty deposits called Willamette Silt, which is mm. um, kind of on a borderline of some people think it might liquefy, some people say it may not liquefy. And that's really one of our biggest issues, being able to really pinpoint and say, you know, this area, this soil is liquefiable. And in this other area, it's not because um, if it is liquefiable, that usually means uh, a significant amount of costs for liquefaction treatment and, and ground. Yeah. It's usually millions of dollars. And, you know, that's wow. the money that's, you know, if you say for sure that it's not liquefiable, you can spend that money on fixing the roads and, you know, um, you know, other priorities. Creating evacuation structures. And fix the structures, right. Um, so in the Pacific Northwest, generally we have this uh, silt um, in Oregon, Washington. Um, and, and because of the high seismic demands from the Cascadia subduction zone, um, these silty soils are usually a problematic soil that may or may not liquefy in air so in addition to the Pacific Northwest, you know, you talked about the New Madrid fault. So that could be, you know, areas like St. Louis, somewhere around there. Do we have an idea of the types of possibly liquefiable soils on that, that fault system? I don't. I, I don't have a lot of experience uh, working in that region. But, um, um, you know, usually when you have loose granular soils by the rivers and high seismic demands you normally expect to have liquefaction. So this would be a call for a researcher out there at a Midwestern university to do what you did and employ another NARI resource, which is the UT Austin shaker truck fleet and go Absolutely. and do some testing on a site. And it's closer too, right? Yeah. So for our project, they had to ship the shakers from Texas all the way to um, Oregon, and then they did some tests in Washington and Oregon. So they went back and forth while their equipment was in, was on the West Coast. But you know, the closer you are, you might be able to. Actually, uh, is it closer? I think it's closer, right? A little bit, yeah. I mean, especially if you're in, like, I'm thinking uh, Missouri or something like that would be a good place. And they've they've gone up there before. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit closer. It's okay. <laughs> a, a few hundred miles closer. <laughs> half, actually, half the country closer. <laughs> half the country. <laughs> uh, yeah, from from Austin to to Missouri is pretty close. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of cool to see. So if anybody's interested in doing some liquefaction research in you know the west eastern Missouri, south southern Illinois, all the way up to Indiana area of the 
New Madrid fault, let us know. <laughs> yeah, de definitely talk to the anyone who is listening who is considering that. Definitely talk to the Nihiri at U Texas folks. Um, they move their equipment around the country quite a lot, and uh, there might be an area where you can, you know, tag your test to their trip, and would end up costing a lot less to ship that equipment and doing the, the, the test, so, the, uh, which is kind of how we got involved. Um, they had their uh, trucks and shakers uh, for another project that was uh, being done by Oregon State University um, in Oregon. And then we had this MID project, uh, microbial induced desaturation, which we needed the shakers to test that method. Um, and then it turned out that we were able to work out the schedule. So when they were done with the tests that they wanted to do for Oregon State, they did the tests for us. Um, and then they went back and did some additional cool. tests for them. And then they came back and did some additional tests at our site. So it, 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 I think it worked out pretty well. These trucks are, per, are, are amazing. Um, they've got five of them of various um, flavors of <laughs> shaking ability from you know, kind of small, something you could put on a bridge to, you know, the uh, T-Rex, which I th was it 50,000 pounds that you can do in either compression or shear? Something like that. Yeah, Something I don't like that. Anyway, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy amount of, of shaking ability that you can actually locally induce liquefaction. Um, yeah. This is mind boggling to me. It's, it's a pretty unique um, piece of equipment, yeah. And of course, the expertise to measure things for you know a large area around it with geophones and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. It's it, it's the equipment itself, but also just the whole, you know, the um, range of expertise that you get from working with that crew. We we had um, an absolute pleasure in you know, working with them. It was just really really interesting and, and educational for us too because learn a lot from those really world-class researchers and, and investigators. Yeah, and, and especially if you get Ken Stokey out there, you've got a world-class storyteller as well. That was that <laughs> was probably the, the, the peak of our experience was, uh, you know, working and, and uh, talking to Dr. Stokey and, you know, hearing all his experience and just, you know, hearing things that I, um, you know, from his perspective, um, of many, many years of doing research on, on, on this field. Just, it was really amazing for, you know, me as a, as a junior faculty and also our students who learn about Ken Stokey and his equations and stuff in the textbooks. And then, you know, we got the chance of actually working with him and his team from- Yeah, so Ken, if you're listening, you still owe me an interview. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you, you mentioned uh, this, this microbially induced desaturation, or MID, as part of a, a number of ways that you and some other uh, folks are, are looking into this biomediated soil improvement, which sounds like wizardry to me. Can you, can you explain a little bit of what you and your colleagues at, at some other institutions are trying to do with this concept? Yeah, so this is, this is actually a new kind of field or uh, um, area of research in, in geotechnical engineering, which is um, bio-inspired or nature-inspired. So 
you get things that nature does and you try to use that for your advantage to solve some problems that you have. And there's actually an NSF center for this. It's called the Center for Bio-Inspired and bio, bio, bio geotechnique or something like that. Um, yeah, CBBG, if, if CBBG. anyone's looking, up, looking it up. Right. Uh, bio, actually, I have it here. Bio, bio, center for Biomediated and Bio-Inspired Geotechnics, CBBG. And it involves many universities who are working on these variations of um, bioremediation for, you know, liquefaction mitigations or non-liquefaction purposes, and also other things like um, um, I don't know, self-penetrating probes or um, cool. Yeah, yeah, a lot of really interesting, cool stuff that are. Um, basically, as the name suggested, bio-inspired. So this particular method that we use, the MID or microbial induced saturation, is an um, it is kind of an offshoot from um, one of the, the, that kind of class of biomediation techniques for liquefaction mitigation, um, and, and it's developed so that. There, there's a center that is working on this. There are a lot of other universities in the US and worldwide that are not necessarily part of the center, but they're also working on these bio-inspired techniques or bioremediation techniques. Um, but this particular method that we used was developed um, by the researchers at the center at Arizona State University. So mm. um, Professor Ed Tavazanjian and um, Leon Pampasan, they are the two researchers who developed this method and they've been working on this for quite a while. They, they really figured out how the chemicals of it work, the chemical reaction would work. Um, they've um, done lab tests to show that it's been effective. They've done uh, smaller scale um, uh, experiments or, or medium scale experiments that to show that how it works, how to um, kind of um, modify the method to really achieve that desaturation, the level of desaturation that you want, um, and also being environmentally friendly. Hmm. Um, and, and our research was really getting their expertise with their help to apply this method in the field in uncontrolled environments where you have hmm. water flow, you have the natural soil in the ground and you're trying to see if you can really achieve that treatment in in the ground so um, what does the treatment do so it's it's using it's basically um a denitrification method where we 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 inject uh two main chemicals calcium acetate and calcium nitrate and then the microorganisms in the soil the existing microorganisms. So we don't really inject any microbes or mm. microorganisms. We use the existing ones in the ground. There are other methods where you can inject or they inject or, um, you know, microbes, but, but our method is just using whatever is in the ground. Um, and um, as, a, as a result of the metabolism of, of feeding these microorganisms, they turn calcium acetate and calcium nitrate and they turn it into nitrogen gas and, and some other products too. And nitrogen gas is 
uh, insoluble. So it, the bubbles or those gas that are formed there, they stay in the ground. And as a result of that, they desaturate the soil, which is why it's so called it pushes microbial the water out or some of it. We, we are trying to figure out how it actually works. I, we don't know if it, it pushes the water out or it just creates these pockets of, of air, or maybe it's not a pocket of air, but it's something else. We, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out the science. Oh, okay. and, and the ASU team, the Arizona State University, they, they know a lot more. They can probably explain this a lot better than, than I'm doing. But um, as a result of these, this desaturation, you're taking a soil that is saturated, which is, you know, if you're under the groundwater table, you know, practically speaking, you can assume that the soil is saturated. Not always, but, but in many cases, it's fully saturated. And by using this method, you are desaturating it. And the idea is that if the soil is desaturated, it won't liquefy. Hmm. Um, so that's been shown wow. in previous history. That's why the, the issue, the liquefaction problem is usually, or almost always, when you have saturated soil, when you have soil that are under the groundwater table. If you have soil above the groundwater table, uh, we're usually not concerned about liquefaction. So that's kind of how the method hmm. works. We, we had a, in our um, field trial, which from what I heard, this was the first field trial of this method in the United States. Um, so the wow. Arizona State team, um, Cav Zanjan and, and, and Rampasan, they've, they've got the lab work, they've done the lab tests, and they've got the method to work in, in small and medium scale. Um, and now they're you know, working with various teams worldwide to try to apply it in the field. And our field trial was one of those field trials. So there was one that was in Toronto, Canada, uh, and then there was our field trial in Portland where we applied it at two different sites. And then there are some other ones that I think are going to happen pretty soon. But I think ours was the first kind of a field trial in uncontrolled environments in the US. Um, and the way we applied it, we had a central well and uh, where we injected these chemicals. And then we had four extraction wells where we extracted the water. So by mm. extracting the water, we kind of, um, you know, encouraged the, the solution to go through that injection well, which was basically a PVC pipe with some uh, slotted openings that, that um, lets the solution to seep into the soil. Mm -hmm. And then the, it goes and comes out from those four extraction wells. And, and as this happening, as this seepage is happening, the chemical reaction occurs in that solution. So while this solution is in the soil, it produces that nitrogen gas, which then desaturates the soil. Um, How long does that take? So it, it, about a day. Oh, okay. um, wow, it's really quick. Yeah, well, the seepage to go from uh, our injection to extraction, which was 3.5 meter radius area. So. Um, you know, about 10 feet, right? 10, 12 feet radius. Yeah. Um, that occurs um, in about two to three hours. Mm -hmm. um, but then you, you, you have to just continuously inject this 
um, and um, and we did that every day for a duration of one month. And um, and within one day, you we were able to inject about a thousand gallon. Uh, so you, you just constantly you're injecting it, and then it comes out from the extraction wells, um, and then you check the the chemicals in the injection and, and extraction to understand how much of that really got consumed. Ah, uh, okay. Through this process, um, so. Each we, we applied it um, for about a month, and every day we injected about one thousand gallon of the solution, which is diluted to some concentration percentage that's um, that the Arizona State team came up with. It's it's actually really small. It's about ten grams of calcium nitrate, which is a fertilizer. So a lot of you know in agricultural industry they use that as a fertilizer and calcium acetate, which is a food grade uh, material. It's a, you can, um, you take the pills usually to help with your, you know, the calcium in your bones. Oh, okay. Um, so, so it's nothing like crazy exotic chemicals that are gonna be bad for the environment or, or, or people to be around necessarily, um, especially in such low concentrations. It's a very low concentration. It's not, um, you know, some exotic chemical and you're using the existing microbes in the ground. Um, so, it, you know, environmentally it's safe, but it's, you know, at the same time, it's, it's, it's a chemical. Uh, so you really have to be careful. And I think that's one of the kind of the, the, not a hurdle, but it's one of the things that needs to be researched in order for this method to really become, you know, adopted in practice is to really show that it's environmentally safe and, and you know, okay to in, to inject it and really get a control of how much of this happens in the soil, how much of the react reaction happens, and making sure that that reaction goes to completion. Um, this method has been used. It's not a new method, really. It's a denitrification. It's been used by environmental remediation companies when they have a high concentration of nitrate and nitrites. They use a, a variation of this method to remediate that area. It's mm. just the geotechs recently found that, hey, we can use that to desaturate the soil and that yeah. might help the liquefaction. So it's, you know, it's been used in the industry, in the, in the environmental remediation industry. Um, but, you know, just like anything else that we do that involves um, chemical reactions, we really have to um, get the handle on yeah. environmental impacts. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for being here today. It's just been really eye-opening into uh, a really important area of research that I only knew a teeny bit about. And it's so cool to hear all of the great stuff that is uh, going on and, uh, you know, labs and field tests all across the country from, from researchers like yourself and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was, it was my pleasure. Have a great day. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. 
This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation, grant number 1612144. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please leave us a review so we can improve the show. Please also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and support. You can find out more about Nary at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at Nary Design Safe. <laughs>